Malachi chapter 4 tonight. How many of you are tired? You all are part of my unofficial, unscientific uh, belief that turkey lasts longer than the nap on Thanksgiving. So you can prove or disprove that theory tonight. No, just kidding. <laughs> Hope you've came to hear from the Lord tonight. That is why we're here. We're come to hear from his word. And we've reached the the closing chapter now of God's final word, the last book of the Old Testament. The last few verses in this last chapter will complete our study tonight, and trust it's been a blessing to you. But as we've gone through, we've seen problems with the leadership and the people at large God exposes those problems, God addresses those issues, and we've seen each time God's assessment is denied, it's rejected, it's questioned, it's challenged, and now we've reached, and we kind of did this last week, we reached the, 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 almost to the end of chapter 3, and in chapter 3 and verse 15, There's that shift right after the end of verse 15 and into verse 16. And as is so often the case with God's people, while the nation as a whole had rejected God, there was still a faithful remnant. A faithful remnant who, as we saw last week in verse 16, then they that feared the Lord, chapter 3, verse 16. There was this remnant who feared the Lord. And so in verse 15, God completes His address or his rebuke of the rebellious mainstream of the nation. Most everyone. It's the leadership. It's most of the people. God has rebuked the mainstream, the mainstream. And now he's turned his attention to the faithful remnant that fear him. And we saw last week how God came alongside and in a extremely loving and gentle manner, God reminded the faithful remnant how much He cared for them, how much He loved them, how much that He remembered them, He saw what they were going through, Uh, He treasured them like the the jewels in His his crown when He comes, that you're going to make up my jewels. And God was explaining how much they meant to Him and their place in His heart, we could put it that way. And now in chapter 4, after reassuring them, God continues this address, and you can kind of see it, verse 2, He mentions again, unto you that fear My name. So He's continuing to talk to this same group of people, this faithful remnant, and He is uh, challenging them, or maybe I should say, he's, He's laying out a warning for them. He's preparing them for the future. Now, they don't fully understand what the future holds. For us, we can now look back and we say, boy, the future looks a bit bleak, especially for the faithful remnant, those who fear God. God knows that is coming. And so he, he wants them to, to get the proper mindset, the proper perspective. And so in chapter 4, he says, the day cometh. He wants to tell them about a coming day and prepare them for that coming day. Chapter 4 is the closing now of God's revelation, the Old Testament canon. 
A period of darkness was coming that had never been experienced by the nation of Israel before. But yet there was a future day that was coming. A day coming on the horizon. Let's go ahead and read chapter 4. Look there in verse 1. Malachi 4.1 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall not leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Lord, would you help us tonight to think biblically, scripturally, the way you would have us to think, that we would understand what you have to say, but more importantly, that you would, we would understand, we would have the wisdom from you to be able to compare the truth that we read to our own lives, our own walk with you, and glean the, the, the help that we need for our, our walk even in this coming week. May you challenge us and strengthen us from your word tonight. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've mentioned the fact that on the horizon, in the very near future, as this revelation closes, this faithful remnant, we don't know how many there were, it's a small group of people who loved the Lord, feared the Lord, they were about ready to experience a trial. And the trial would pretty much, um, that's the word I'm looking for, it would, it would characterize the rest of their human existence because nobody lived longer than the 400 years. All right? if, you were, if you were approaching this, the, you're, you're, this is the rest of your life. And it's not necessarily your fault, right? God's not judging the faithful remnant. He's judging the nation as a whole, with this 400 years of silence. But you're just like, we could say, if we go back a couple hundred years to uh, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was faithful to the Lord. He did what God asked him to do. He preached faithfully the Word of God. But he lived in the nation of Israel. And the nation of Judah in particular. And they deserved God's judgment. So guess who experienced all that went into God's judgment of the nation of Judah, Jeremiah did. And these God-fearing people would go through this same period along with everyone else. You know, there may be a time, I'm not a doomsday individual, but there may be a time, there, there is coming a time eventually in which the culture and society that we live in will be judged by God. If we're not in the beginning stages, the early days of that. That's not a wonderful a warm, fuzzy kind of thought. That the families that we're raising, the, the, uh, the, the posterity that we're leaving behind, hopefully we pray that they're God-fearing people and that they love God and that they serve God. 
But they're in the midst of a nation who is being judged by God. And so they're going to experience some of the same difficulties along with everyone else. But here, before God closes His Old Testament revelation, there's four themes that God reminds His people of. This is not necessarily anything new. But what God wanted to do is He wanted them, put these, put these, four, themes, these four themes in your mind, keep them at the forefront, and they are going to help you as you navigate a difficult, dark time. Four things. And these four, thing, four things, four themes are important for us. No matter what time we might be facing, we may be preparing to go through a dark time. I don't know that. We'll probably go through um, specific dark times in our lives. But these four themes will help us if we keep them at the forefront of our mind. The first theme is in verse number 1. And that theme is judgment. There is a promise of coming judgment. We see judgment certainty in the very first words of verse number 1. Behold, the day cometh. Behold, all right, this is something I want you to see. I want you to get your perspective fixed on. And this day is coming. I know it doesn't seem like it's coming, I know it seems like, boy, this, we've been hearing this all our lives and nothing has really happened. Boy, I think some of the points raised by the mainstream about how, God, you're not judging evil, they kind of make sense. But God says, let me assure you with certainty that the day of my judgment is coming. Behold, the day cometh. You are not going to stop it. You are not going to avoid it. It's coming. It is certain. We see not only the certainty of judgment, but the severity of judgment. Behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. Now, he's describing the day. The day itself is compared to an oven that is burning, or a furnace, or a stove. You think of a furnace and a stove. It has a purpose, as a particular function. What is that function? The function is... You put fuel in there to maximize the amount of heat that you can, that you can create and then utilize that heat for, for various functions. All right, this, this oven is a place designed to maximize and maintain the severity of heat. And God describes the day. The day is coming. And the day is designed to maximize and maintain the severity of the judgment that I am promising to bring. And I want you, as difficult as it is, I want you to look at this. I want you to consider it. There is a day of judgment coming. And tonight, there is still a day of judgment coming. We need to look at it. We need to consider it. We need to let it affect our lives. So the certainty of the judgment, the severity of the judgment, but also... The casualties. Who is this judgment for? Well, it says there in verse number one, all the proud, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly. We have the proud. Now, does that ring a bell at all to you from last week? The proud. The proud. Wait a minute. Go back to chapter three and Verse 15, remember what the people said? 
This is what they were saying to each other. They said, we call the proud happy. Those who live in pride and arrogance, exalting themselves above God, they're the ones that live the happy life. They're the ones that are fulfilled. They're the ones who are successful. And so we should be like them. We call the proud the happy ones. However, they're not going to be happy in that day. The proud are those that don't need God. The proud are those who think they can save themselves. The proud are those that think they're, they're, they're sufficient in themselves to do what they need to do. The proud. The proud are the one casualty. The second casualty is the wicked, which is another one that was mentioned back in chapter 3. They call it the proud happy, verse 15. Yea, they that work in wickedness are set up. They're established. They're at peace. They're, they're comfortable. From the outside appearance of things, it looked as though those that were specifically aligning their lives in opposition to God, they were the ones that were established. They were the ones that were successful. They were the ones at peace. And God says, not so. That's not the reality. One day there is a day that's coming, and specifically those who are proud, those that don't need God, those that are wicked, those who turn aside from following Him, they shall be as stubble. And notice it says all of them. And all is repeated twice. All the proud. All the wicked. They're going to be as stubble. What is stubble? It is that leftover after harvest time. Dried. We even call it today, you can, you can buy some of this stuff. It's, it's accelerant for fire. For fuel. We're talking about the kind of stuff that if you were to have an, an oven, a furnace like this, and you were to heat it up, you could probably stick a piece of stubble in and you don't even have to put it in contact with the fire. Just the, the sheer amount of heat can combust that. You just put it in there and it, it just lights on fire almost immediately. Those are the casualties of this judgment. The proud and the wicked. But notice how it describes them, their annihilation. It says in verse number 1, about halfway down, the day that cometh shall burn them up. In case we are wondering, God describes it completely and thoroughly. The day that's coming shall burn them up. This is a consuming fire. Now, he mentioned back in chapter 3, and we talked about the refiner's fire and how that is for a specific function and a specific purpose of purifying metals, of, of making them better and coming out with a better product. The design of this furnace, of this fire, is completely different. It's not a refining fire. It is a consuming fire. So powerful is this fire. It's so thorough that you'll notice it even says that it's not going to leave a root or a branch. You think about a, a forest fire, some, some of the forest fires in the West, and how they just sweep across the land. But you know, most of them leave a branch and they leave a root. It's not very long before all of a sudden it's green again, things start growing because the roots are still there. And, and not that the trees necessarily uh, continue growing, but you see there's branches up there. It wasn't a thoroughly consuming fire, although it was quite a fire. This fire is described as much more severe. Even those things that might 
escape a forest fire are not going to escape this fire. So no one, nothing will escape this fire. Unless we think this is just, oh, that's an, this is an Old Testament God thing. He's, he's angry, he's judgmental, but you know, this is the theme carried forward into the New Testament as well. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, where it talks about the Lord Jesus returning, being revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance, here's the casualties, taking vengeance on them that know not God. Well, that doesn't mean that they didn't know God existed. But those that do not have a relationship with God... And they that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the key. There is a day that's of, of wrath, of judgment that's coming. And it is reserved for those who do not know God and those who have not responded to the gospel. There's a judgment coming. We need to look at it. We need to behold it. We need to let it affect our hearts. But think, think about this. Think about the application of this judgment. What does it mean to us? Well, part of the judgment brings reassurance because we think about arrogance and wickedness will not go unpunished. For the righteous or those who fear the Lord, that brings a measure of reassurance. Because in our flesh, we can see and we can point out and we notice, hey, that over there, that's not right. They seem to be getting away with it. They seem to get off scot-free. And actually, all of us as human beings have that shred of justice within. There, there is that thirst for, hey, they might have committed some things in this life that, were not, that weren't, weren't right and, and uh, um, uh, were wicked. They'll, they're going to get it in the next life. We all seem to have that. If you don't believe in God, you don't believe in ultimate judgment, then you know, your Hitlers and your Mussolinis and Joseph Stalins, I mean, you know, they got what they got, they're gone. So... There's no ultimate judge, judgment for them. There's no justice for them. But because there is a God, there is justice. We can be reassured that God is keeping track. He will take care of things. He will fix things. He will make things right. There's a measure of reassurance of, with, with that. The arrogance and wickedness will be judged. But along with that reassurance, it ought to bring us a measure of responsibility. Because while the wickedness and the arrogance that we see out there, that's going to be judged, which also means the wickedness and arrogance of my own heart will also not go unpunished. There's reassurance, but there's also responsibility. The reality of God's judgment ought to humble us. Take us off the stool of thinking... We're good, everyone else is not. But the reality of God's judgment ought to humble us. And there is a bit of humbling that takes place. Yes, we rejoice in God's ultimate justice being, being meted out on this world. But there's also a place in which we deserve some of that ourselves. What do we do about that? Well, I like how verse number 2 brings... A complete change, right? There's a conjunction, the, the, the word but, and it's just like, all right, let me consider the judgment for a moment. But here's the opposite. Here's the reverse. Here is the deliverance that is available. 
And thank God for the deliverance that's available. It says, but unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. There's deliverance. We'll note in verse number 2, the recipient of deliverance, that is those that fear my name. And if you struggle fearing God's name, go back and read verse number 1 about the coming judgment that is described as the oven and the stubble that's going to be put in. God is a powerful God. God is a righteous God. And He will judge. That ought to bring us some fear and some right fear, fearing God's name. But those of you who fear my name, you are the recipient of deliverance. And he describes it this way, with the source of deliverance. And the source is none other than the Son of Righteousness. An interesting way of of writing this. It's not the S-O-N, it's the S-U-N. But you'll notice that it's capitalized, all right? So this is an individual. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah, the Son. The one who is described as the day star. The one who is described as the morning star. In this this specific case, he's described as one of the the, the brightest stars, or actually not uh, one of the brightest stars, the brightest star in, in our experience, the sun itself. That shining star that brings light. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16 refers to Jesus in this way. The people which sat in darkness saw a great light. I would say the sun is a great light. They saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. I'm thankful for light. Light brings clarity. Light brings direction. Light brings comfort to us. Life, especially, uh, sorry, light, especially the light of the sun, think about the fact that it brings warmth. After a cold, dark night, the rays of warm sunshine, and I'm, some of you are already longing and thinking about, I, I knew I wanted to go to Florida, all right, because winter's coming, all right. But even in the winter time, you go out and cold morning and the sun's just barely getting over you go for you know a good walk it's great to go for a good walk you know in the morning it's cold but that sun comes up and hey it's still cold outside but you can feel that warmth of the sun it just does something to you and of course medically we know um, what sunlight does for us it gives us warmth it gives us light and this sun is the sun of righteousness of righteousness He's described and known by that one word. Everything about him is right. Everything about him is as it ought to be. And it caused me to think, you know, the son of righteousness, you know, the title of God's people or the name of God's people in Jeremiah 23 and verse 6. Our name is the Lord, our righteousness. Right? So we're branded with his righteousness. And for those that fear the Lord, those who have responded to the gospel, we have received the righteousness of Christ imparted to us because of the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We receive that righteousness. We are, I am, and if you're saved here tonight, you are the Lord, your righteousness. The Lord, my righteousness. He is the son of righteousness. And you'll notice that the son of righteousness will arise. The son of righteousness shall Arise. His coming is as sure as the sunrise tomorrow. 
you know that tomorrow, the, the beginning of the day is going to be marked by the rising of the sun. Now, whether or not you actually see, you know, the warm rays of the sun or whether or not you just see the light because it's cloudy outside, the sun is going to come up. We have God's promise of that. Tomorrow morning, the sun is coming up. And as sure as that is going to happen, the sun of righteousness shall arise. And I like how the, the, uh, the rising sun is described in Psalm 19. All right, where it's talking about he's he's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoicing as a strong man to run a race. The sun, he just kind of there he is. It's not quite dawn. The, the sun hasn't break, broken the horizon, and then just boom, there it is. He's like the he's like the uh, the young man. It's his wedding day, and he hasn't slept all night anyway. But finally, the time comes, and it's time to get up and. I'm ready to go. And then he has six hours to wait because there's makeup and pictures and all of that. So we've got to get all the way to the wedding day. Finally, there it is. Now, all mature, you know, uh, uh, grooms, uh, grooms, you know, they don't, they don't have that excitement. They just kind of, they hide it all. But then you just get to see the glimmer, you know, when the doors open and the, the bride's down there and there's that little smile, you know, the the smile comes out, and there's that energy that's coming out. So they convince you, I'm fine, I'm cool, collected. They're not. They're not. Nice try. Um, but that's a good thing. The bridegroom's like that. The strong man running the race is like that. It's race day. It's a big race. Man, and I don't know how much sleep happens that night, but it's time. Let's go out. I'm ready. Bring on the race. That's the son. The son of righteousness. The son of righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ, one day is going to come back in just that way. He's waiting for the time. He knows the time. We don't know the time. We don't know when that's going to be. But he knows the time. He knows when he's going to come forth as a strong man ready to run a race. He he knows when he's going to come as the bridegroom looking for his bride. He's going to come in that way. He is the source of our deliverance. The source of our deliverance is not ourselves. It's not in what we do. It's in the fact that he is the son of righteousness. And anything we have is as a result of him. He is the source of deliverance. And then we see the results of deliverance. And what a, what a, uh, a picture this is. A couple different things. First of all, it describes him. Uh, he arises with healing in his wings. With healing in his wings. The first result is the result of restoration, of healing. You think of that picture of a, of a mother bird with all of her little chicks. And there's danger. Perhaps there's a storm com- coming. Perhaps there's a, some sort of predator. And she gathers all those little chicks in under her wings and then protects them there. You don't even know that they're there. But they're safe and protected in the mother's wings. All they have to do is get close enough to the mother and they'll be fine. And I thought, boy, that's good. All we have to do is get close to him. All we have to do is stay close to him. And when danger comes, when the judgment comes, you know, healing in his wings. You know, some of us carry, some of you tonight carry deep wounds and scars from your past. Troubles and difficulties that you have endured. And while maybe you've experienced the measure of healing and and, 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 and uh, God has brought you through some of that, one day there's going to be ultimate healing. Amen. Ultimate healing, and all you have to do is get close enough to, enough to Him, and you'll be fine. You'll be restored. You'll be healed. 
The second result is at the end of verse number two. You're going to go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. There is the result of freedom. Freedom, liberty. Think about the calf of the stall. The calf spends the first few hours, even the first few days in the stall, in the barn, with mom. It's learning some valuable things. Learning how to stand and how to walk and how to eat, all those valuable things. But one day, it's finally time for the calf to go forth and to grow up. Have you ever seen one of those YouTube videos of the cows who first see green grass? There, you'll have something to do tonight once the service is over. (laughs) Cows, first time, you know, put that in YouTube. And, uh, of course, I did it as a break while I was preparing, right? Got on YouTube and watched a few. And, you know, you see those cows, they start to venture out of the stall, and then they realize, you know, what is this green grass? I've never seen that before. And then it just starts to sort of click, and they, just, they run, and they're jumping around. It's kind of like, woo, they're partying. This is great. I'm free. I'm free. This is wonderful. You know, that's what he describes. Those of us who the sun of righteousness shines on, we're going to go forth. Freedom! We're going to be free, and we're going to grow up in the pasture where we were designed to be. And if you're saved and you've received the gospel, you've obeyed the gospel, one day you're going to go to the place where you're designed for. We're not designed for this world. We're not designed for this life. We're pilgrims and strangers. We're designed for that life, for that place, and we're going there because that's where we experience true freedom. Think about the freedom, the freedom from sin. And I know we experience, a, we experience freedom as far as the eternal penalty of our sin when we're saved. But you know that you have that old man, that, that old nature that still desires after sin. You've got the battle in, the, in your heart like Paul had the struggle of, of back and forth. And you have that. We, we live with that. Think of what it will be like to be free from that. Free from the very presence of sin. Freedom from death. Freedom from sorrow. We will be free. For those that fear God's name, this deliverance, restoration, healing, freedom. But then also look at verse 3. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this saith the Lord of hosts. Third result is vindication. Vindication. We do struggle. God's servants have struggled down through the ages with what do we do with the prosperity of those that are are in absolute opposition to God? What do we do with the success of those that completely disregard and dishonor? What do we do with that? Well, you know, one day there's going to be vindication. You'll notice that it was God's judgment, the burning oven, that created these ashes. These ashes that it describes these saints, those that fear God, those they're going to be walking on. They'll be under the soles of our feet. God's judgment did the burning. And you notice he emphasizes in verse 3, in the day that I shall do this. Because ultimately we understand the truth that Vengeance is mine. It's God's. I will repay. 
Vengeance does not belong to us. And this, this gives us the freedom to not seek revenge in this life. And I do mean this gives us the freedom. We're going to have the desire to. But vengeance does not belong to us. It is not ours. It is His. And we say, you know what? I, I, I don't think God is handling this right. I'm going to take revenge. Then we are stepping in the place of God and that's not a good place to be. Right. We are saying, step aside, God. I can, I'll handle this and I'll do a better job than you apparently are doing. God's judgment did this. Vengeance is His. And now, those that fear God will walk on the ashes. We'll be vindicated. Someone will finally recognize that the way that the righteous chose to live, the the way that those that fear God, the way that that they chose to order their lives was truly right. You can imagine what vindication really feels like. So we see in restoration, we have healing from sin. In freedom, we have freedom from sin. And now we have the conquering of sin itself. We won. And we will win. Not because of us. In the day that God shall do it. The day cometh. The day cometh. There's a taste of this even today, but the culmination is still to come. The day comes. There's deliverance That's coming. The third theme in this chapter in verse 4 is that God kind of brings their attention back to the reality of today. We kind of have been transported into the future. We see the day of judgment. We see the day of deliverance for those that fear God. But now we kind of come back to what does that mean today? What means this in in verse 4? There's responsibility. What is the responsibility? Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded them or commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. There's a responsibility. And I believe that the reason why God is bringing his people back to today and the responsibility of today was that there was a very real uncertain day that was coming. And I mean by that an uncertain period of time. There had never been a time in the the existence of God's people, the nation of Israel, there had never been a time in which God had gone silent for this long. There would be 400 years of silence. Yes, the Messiah was, was, His coming was certain. God's judgment is certain. God's deliverance is certain. The immediate future for these people was anything but certain. There was 400 years of silence. The immediate future for those reading this prophecy was dark and uncertain. What do we do when the days are dark and uncertain? Well, God points His people to, yes, there is an uncertain day, and yes, they are going to be living in it, but He points them to a certain guide. Remember, Remember, that means recall and do. All right? Remember the law of Moses. Remember what it was. Remember it's the law of Moses. Now, it's interesting. God's closing the Old Testament with a reminder of the opening of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the writing of the law, the authorship of Moses. So it's a, it's a complete package. God's closing now the Old Testament. But remember the law of Moses. Remember where it came from. I commanded it, he says there. In verse 4, I commanded, which I commanded. And remember how it came. 
It came in Horeb. And Horeb is just another name for Mount Sinai, the place of the giving of the law by miraculous revelation from God. Remember my previous revelation. And remember who it was for. It was for all Israel. Recall and do the law of Moses with the statutes and the judgments. Where were all these found? They were all found, written in the scriptures that God had given them, and they had the responsibility of preserving from generation to generation. In reality, God was pointing them back to His Word. You're going to go through an uncertain and dark time. What do you need? You need my Word. You're going to be wondering, where is God? He hasn't revealed Himself. All the the things that He said are going to happen, they haven't happened. What do we do? Go back to God's Word. And you know what? No matter what period of uncertainty or dark period we, we might be going through, we have a responsibility to just do what God has told us to do. Amen. Don't doubt in the darkness what you learned in the light. And there are periods of time in which your feelings get kind of out of whack. And you don't understand what's going on. And the first inclination is, well, because of the way I feel, I just want to pull back. I just want to quit. Don't do it. Don't doubt in the darkness what you learned in the light. Don't quit in uncertainty what you began in assurance. If you knew God wanted you to do it back then, then you know God still wants you to do it today. Sometimes our our feelings get out of kilter. And sometimes it is because of our environment, because things are just not the way we thought they would be or the way we thought they should be. We're in a dark day. What do we do? We're in an uncertain day. What do we do? We go to our certain guide, the Word of God, and we let that be our light to take us through this period of time and to the other end. And there is another end. All right? There is a certain coming judgment. There is a certain coming deliverance. But for today, remember our responsibility and walk after God's Word. One more theme tonight in verse 5 and 6. Now, this almost seems out of place, but let me try to bring this uh, together for you. We're going to look at a few passages of Scripture, but we'll do it quickly. What God challenges His people with is the theme of anticipation. They've already been told of the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. In fact, He references there in verse, verse 5 again, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And that's verse number 1. All right, he's referencing back to that. But now, that's still in the future. Now they're entering into a period of darkness, a period of uncertainty. What were they supposed to look for? What were they supposed to anticipate? Verse 5 opens with, Behold, this is what you look for. This is what you anticipate. Behold, I will send you Elijah. Now, Elijah. Who is Elijah? Well, we know who Elijah was in the past, but who is the coming Elijah? Well, um, turn to just the two passages with me, and we'll, uh, we'll try to be as quick as possible. Luke chapter 1, look there in verse 15. Look at what the angel says to Zacharias in Luke chapter 1 and verse 15. He's announcing the birth of um, Zacharias' son, 
Zacharias and Elizabeth had no children. And as Zacharias was ministering in the temple, an angel appeared to him and the angel told him that they were going to have a son. And this is what his son was going to do. Look in verse 15. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Sure seems like there's a lot of familiar and similar elements that the the coming, this Elijah that was coming was John the Baptist. And in case we were doubting, flip back to Matthew 17. Look at what Jesus says. Matthew 17 and verse number 10. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Verse 10, there's a question here from his disciples. His disciples asked him saying, this is Matthew 17 and verse 10. Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? And Jesus answered and said, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already. And they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. It's pretty clear, right? Jesus kind of confirms it. But here's our little bit of issue. Turn to John chapter 1. Trying to answer this question. Who is Elijah? Who is the one that God is promising before the great and dreadful day of the Lord? Look in John chapter 1. Look at verse 21. This is John himself. The Jews are questioning him. And they say, verse 21, they asked him, they asked John the Baptist, What then? Art thou Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Okay, well, all right, we, got a, we got a little bit of an issue here. We also have the issue of, remember he said, I'm going to send Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Has the great and dreadful day of the Lord, has that taken place yet? No, it hasn't. Especially in the literal sense, it hasn't as far as the coming of Jesus Christ. So how do we reconcile these two things? Well, just like there was, and I know I'm rushing through this, but just for sake of time, just like there was a first coming of the Messiah, the one that we celebrate this time of year, the baby born in the manger who died on the cross, the first coming of the Messiah, there's also a second coming of the Messiah. And we looked at some of the things that are going to happen at his second coming, the judgment, the deliverance that's going to take place. There's two, two comings of the Messiah. And just like there were a first, there was a first Elijah or first uh, Messiah and a second Messiah coming. There is also a first Elijah that is John the Baptist. And then there is the last Elijah. And our minds go forward to that great and terrible day of the Lord. Those who would preach the gospel, those who would prepare the way for God Himself, Revelation chapter 11 describes the two witnesses. The two witnesses which will begin the ministry of preaching. Now, whether they are Elijah Himself, you know, bearing the name of Elijah, or whether they're like 
John the Baptist, you know, coming in the spirit and power of Elijah, but with their own name. We don't know. God doesn't really tell us. But there are these two witnesses. God calls them my two witnesses. The book of Revelation tells us, Revelation 11, verse 3, that they're going to prophesy. They're going to preach for 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. Their ministry will be during the first half of what we know as the seven years of tribulation. They will enjoy the power and protection of God Himself. They will enjoy the power of signs and miracles. And they will preach the Gospel. They will preach the coming Messiah. But they will be killed by the Antichrist and celebrated for three days and then resurrected and ascended to heaven before the eyes of the world. And the great tribulation that follows this is known as the great and dreadful day of the Lord, the last three and a half years. So we have Elijah's coming. And in Elijah's coming, we see the first Elijah, John the Baptist. And you know, he preached. And the cure of his preaching, we saw, if you go back to Malachi, the content of his preaching was turning hearts back to where they belong. And we saw that as we read our text. And there were those who responded to the impact of the ministry of John the Baptist. Some responded to that first Elijah. God told His people to look for Elijah coming, and many recognized him when he came on the scene. Specifically, the disciples and many of the others who would form that first church, they recognized that that's the one that God has promised. They listened to His preaching. They were baptized under His preaching. With the last Elijah, many will respond to those two witnesses. Thousands of people will come to Christ. And God is telling His people, the Jews, even today, to look for this Elijah. Those coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. And there will be thousands of converts to this ministry. That's Elijah's cure or his message, the impact of his ministry. But then he closes, verse 6, with the promise of a curse. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Do you know the first Elijah came? And along with the one who he was announcing was largely rejected by the Jewish leaders. Largely rejected by the nation of Israel. And you know what? The nation of Israel has never been the same. You look at their history. What they had when John the Baptist was preaching and when Jesus was here ministering, it wasn't long after they turned away from both that there was a great curse. And a curse that has largely even continued to this day. The temple has been destroyed. There hasn't been one ever since. And those who reject the last Elijah, the preaching of the two witnesses, they will experience an even worse fate. An even worse judgment at the second coming. God is telling His people, anticipate, look for the coming of Elijah. But you know, tonight we are New Testament believers. We're not Jews. The church did not replace Israel. God still has plans for His people. We're not told to look for Elijah. Do you know what we're told to look for? Who we're told to look for? Our anticipation is not Elijah, it's Jesus. Titus chapter 2 and verse 3, we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one that we are looking for. And these are the themes. What we're supposed to take some time to consider We're to consider the fact that there is a day of judgment coming. 
were to consider the fact that there is deliverance that is offered through the person of Jesus Christ, were to consider the fact that we have a responsibility, a responsibility to walk in the ways of God with an anticipation of the future. He's coming back. He's returning. And we're looking for that day. We're awaiting that day. These four themes are seen throughout the Bible. They're even seen in salvation. We come to the realization that God is a righteous judge. And God's righteous anger is turned and His wrath is turned towards our sin, towards my sin. What do I do? Well, there's a deliverer. Jesus Christ came. He died on the cross. He paid the price for your sin, for my sin. I just accept that deliverance. It's not that I earn salvation. I deserve salvation. No, I actually deserve God's judgment. But because He offered deliverance, because the Son of Righteousness offers me His righteousness, I can receive that. I can be saved. I can be on my way to heaven. I can be secure in my salvation, but also realizing I have a responsibility today to follow the words that God has given me. Where there's no new revelation, God is not speaking, but He's spoken already. And there might, we might be living in an uncertain day, but we have an uncertain word to guide our lives. And then we think about the future. Jesus is coming. And these four themes were important enough that God chose to close His revelation of the Old Testament with these themes. They were what His people needed to weather the difficulty of the coming days. And they're just as important to us today. You sit here tonight, have you done business with the coming judge? Have you come to that place where you realized, I am lost. I am a sinner condemned for God's judgment. I am like the piece of stubble in the furnace. I stand no chance before God's righteousness. I must have a deliverer. Have you come to that place? Do you know for certain? It's amazing how many people get nervous. They're, you know, they get, their heart starts thumping when you talk about Revelation. The book of Revelation. Like it's some sort of scary thing. It's not real scary. I mean, God tells us what we're gonna, what's going to happen, but He also says, this is not even for you. You, you obey the Gospel, you're not even going to be here. You get to watch all that God does, and I believe you will, because it will be a marvel of what God is doing. It will be His masterpiece, and we'll just want to see it happen. We'll want to see what God does. But have you come to that place now where you know God's judgment's not a fearful thing as far as a cowering? Now, we understand God's judgment gives us pause, it gives us humility, but we don't have to fear that judgment. Are you certain of that? And then today, are you fulfilling your responsibility and walking by faith according to God's Word, looking for His future coming? Just like God challenged His people, look for my coming. I'm going to send Elijah. Many of them were. And they recognized Jesus. There will be many Jews in the future who will recognize that's Elijah. That's what God told us about. And they'll receive the Messiah as a result of that. But you know what today? We're looking for our Savior to come and rapture us out of here to take us where we really belong, which is not here. It's living in His presence. These four themes were important for God's people. They're important for us today. I hope you'll think about those things and even allow that to uh, encourage you and give you some rejoicing uh, today and throughout your week.